Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Goodness, into goodness, knowledge, into knowledge, self-control, into self-control, perseverance, into perseverance, godliness, into godliness, mutual affection, into mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increased measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Hey, good morning. It's good to see you. Hey, we have a lot of new faces in the room today, and so I'm going to go ahead and tell you that we do something a little bit weird when we start off our services. So if you're new to our church, uh, this might catch you off guard. We love to celebrate the truth of God's Word. We believe that God has given us His truth to grow us, to help us understand who He is, that it's life-changing, that it's powerful, it's revolutionary. And so we celebrate that. So I'm about to tell our church to join with me in Scripture. And when we do, we're going to cheer and clap and celebrate. You can join in if you want to. 2 Peter chapter 1. You guys turn there with me. And uh, let's celebrate God's, God's truth together. Um, I get from people sometimes when they go, church is already weird, and then you guys do strange stuff like that, and so I don't understand, but uh, so I wanted to explain a little bit. Hey, uh, we are working as a church through this passage in 2 Peter chapter 1, and, uh, and I've been encouraging people in our church to memorize this passage so that it really gets in our hearts. We're talking through this for several weeks here, so I want it to be really deeply embedded in us. So uh, as a part of that, we're just reading it together every week as well. So if you will, join me. This will either be on the screen, or if you have it in front of you, or on an app, you can look and read this together. Let's read this passage and we're going to read down to the word perseverance today because that's what we're going to be talking about. So if you will start with me, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance. And so like I said, we're going through this series, and today we're talking about perseverance. Have you ever been part of something that has tested your resolve to remain faithful to it? If you are a fan of Tennessee football, you have been walking in that for years now, and that's where I have found myself. Uh, my brother today said, I'm not sure you're a fan anymore. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Uh, I'm a supporter, and I'm genuinely still hoping for this comeback, because like most Tennessee fans, we say the same thing every year, right? What is it? Next year, right? We're going to be back. We're going to be back next year. And so we always are celebrating that one thing. But man, I have to tell you that after the first two games this year, my perseverance and ability to persevere with this team just kind of went out the window. And so I said, look, I'm still cheering for these guys. I'm still hopeful for them. I want the program to do well, but I have better things to do for three or four hours on a Saturday than watch terrible football. So I'm out. <laughs> Right, like, so I am out. I'm done. So the Saturdays have been freed up, and the best thing about this weekend was they didn't even play. So uh, we just get to persevere through some of these things, but they test our resolve. And sometimes when we have something that tests our resolve, we have to choose, do I stay with this or do I walk away from it? 
And to be honest with you, faith is like that in a lot of ways. And so we're going to see this morning what Peter talks about when he tells us to add to our faith perseverance. What does it mean to persevere in our faith? So as we continue in this study, helping us to learn and grow as disciples of Jesus who want to be godly, we're adding these different qualities and characteristics to the life of faith that we have. And so if you were to define perseverance, Webster's does this way. It's a noun, and they define it this way. It's steady persistence in a course of action, a purpose, a state, etc., especially in spite of difficulties, obstacles, or discouragement. And all of us at some point along the way have faced things that become difficult for us that we have to persevere in that thing, right? Maybe you've had an illness in your life where for a period of time you just had to persevere through that illness or you walked with a family member through a really difficult illness, a stretch of life where you didn't know, are they going to make it? Are they not going to make it? Is this sickness going to be this way forever? Am I always going to be here? You have to just persevere. Maybe your marriage has had seasons like that. In fact, if you're married, your marriage has had seasons like that where you just have to go, I'm going to persevere. We're going to stick this out. We made vows to one another. We made commitments to one another. And the thing that we're going to do is we're going to focus on Christ, focus on God, and ask him to help us persevere and walk through even the difficult things that come up in our marriage, in our relationship. Maybe you've had some things at work, whatever it is that you just go, this difficult thing, there's this obstacle that I've come into, uh, come in contact with, and I'm going to have to just push through, to persevere, to be persistent, to stay with it. So that's just from an everyday kind of standpoint. When you think about this in terms of theology, the other thing we can look at is that Webster says in theology, perseverance means a continuance in a state of grace to the end, leading to eternal salvation. That perseverance is a continuance in a state of grace, God's grace to the end. And so we've been seeing this progression of the list of attributes that Peter talks about. He started out, he said, add to your faith. Faith is the building block of all things to a life of godliness. That if we're going to follow God and be in a relationship with God, it starts with faith. That without faith, no one can please God. And so faith is the building block. And then from faith, he says, add to your faith goodness. That we look at the life of Christ and we go, the first thing that I can do when I enter into this faith relationship, a relationship that's changing me, that's saving me from my sin, is to be like Christ in the goodness that he did. The first natural progression of a step I can take as a new follower of Christ is to begin to do the good that Jesus did in the world. So add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge as you begin doing the things that Jesus did and walking in the ways that Jesus walked, add to your knowledge of him. How do I get to know God? How do I get to intimately be aware of who he is and invest in him? How do I have a, an awareness of God's word? How do I know how to pray? How do I know how to walk in holiness? I want to know things. I'm going to add to my faith, goodness, and goodness, then knowledge. And then knowledge, self-control. And so as we get to know God and we walk in intimacy with him, we talked about this last week, that our, the goodness that we develop and the knowledge of God then allows us to say yes to God and say no to sin. Self-control simply is a way for us to go, I have choices in front of me, the good and the bad and that I want to do and have to make choices to do. Self-control as a follower of Christ helps me say no to sin to say the better yes to Jesus. So I want to follow after him in all things. I'm going to develop self-control so that I can be aware of my temptations, my sinfulness, and I can learn to say no to those things, develop self-control against sin so that I can walk in honor of Christ. And then he goes, add to your uh, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance. Once you develop this perseverance or this self-control that you're able to say, I want to say no to sin, I want to walk in the ways of God, then you say, I want to persevere in that. 
I'm just going to keep pursuing him, keep following after him day after day after day. This becomes a lifestyle of perseverance, a lifestyle of following after Christ. So we've seen this whole thing that Peter's written about, these characteristics and attributes start growing. Today, as we discuss persevering faith, you might think of this more as living faith. Just to go, if I'm going to persevere in this, it's a living faith. It's a faith in my own heart, in my own life, that's living, it's growing, it's active, it's developing day after day after day. And so I want to have a living faith and make Christ the center of everything in my life. So Peter tells us that God has given us everything we need for a life of godliness in him. If you're taking notes this morning and like to write some things down, or if you're on our app and you want to type in some some fill in the blanks, here's the first thing. Perseverance in faith results in an ever-changing life over a lifetime of following Jesus. Perseverance in faith results in an ever-growing, ever-changing life over a lifetime of following Jesus. It's not just a, hey, I made a commitment. Hey, I made a decision. Okay, great. I'm not going to go to hell when I die because I said that prayer that you told me to say, so I'm all good, right? This perseverance of faith is a lifestyle of faith. It is a lifelong, enduring faith. So the question that we're asking ourselves today is this. If God has given me everything I need for a life of godliness, how do I persevere in faith throughout my life? In other words, how do I have an enduring, persevering, living faith? In his book, Systematic Theology, uh, Wayne Grudem described the perseverance of the saints like this. He said, the perseverance of the saints means that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And that only those who persevere until the end have truly been born again. And so when we think about this in terms of just life, how do you know you're married? Because you persevere in your marriage vows. You stay committed to your partner, to your spouse, right? That's how you know you're in. You persevere in it. How do you know that, you're, that you uh, have a, a job, that you're employed? Because you persevere every day going to your work, right? I show up at work. I'm going to be there. Now, here's the thing. You should get a paycheck for that. Uh, If you're persevering and going to work and they're not paying you, you don't really work there. You just show up all the time, all right? You can stop uh, because they quit on you earlier, okay? Uh, But if you're still going to work and they're paying you, you're persevering in your job. You're continuing on in that. So when we think about this in terms of our faith, we ask the question, how do I know then that I'm a Christian? How do I know? I mean, is there something that I wake up and just feel that I'm a Christian? What if I wake up and I don't feel like a Christian today? What if I do something sinful that I wonder if it disqualifies me from being a Christian anymore? How do I know if I'm a Christian? How do I know if I'm a follower of Christ? Here's the answer. I persevere in the saving grace of Jesus every day by faith. Irregardless of how you feel, irregardless of what you've done, You put your faith in Christ and you say, it's not because of how good I am or what I've accomplished or how I do things. It's about his saving grace to me. And so I'm going to place my faith in him. And that's a persevering, enduring, living faith. And it goes on every day. So to be a Christian not only means to have had your sins forgiven, But from that point forward, to walk in faith with Jesus. That doesn't mean that we just trust Jesus for salvation and then from that point on, we have to work to stay saved. And if we slip into sin or if we go through a challenging time in our faith, that we've lost our salvation. That's not what that means at all. Here's kind of a truth statement I can give you this morning. Truly saved people are kept by God's power and will persevere in faith all of our lives. 
And those who persevere in faith all of our lives are truly saved people by the power of God. It's this kind of working statement that you go, when God saves a person, if we're brought in by the power of God, we'll persevere in faith because of his goodness all of our lives. And because we persevere in faith all of our lives, we're truly saved. It's an enduring, lasting faith. Listen to what Jesus said about this in the Gospel of John. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 37 through 40. All those that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the one who sent me, that I shall lose none of those that he has given me, but I will raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise them up on that last day. Then in John 10, 27 and 29, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And so when we see this, you go, man, when I come into faith in Christ, when I place my, my trust and faith for salvation in Christ, I don't just think, hey, that was a one-time commitment. I said a prayer. I went to a service. I did what they told me to do. I got baptized. Okay, I'm all good. Go do whatever you want to for the rest of your life. He goes, when I come into faith in Christ, I place myself in the hand of Jesus, and he holds on to me. And then when I'm being held by the hand of Jesus, the hand of God the Father comes over that, and he holds on to me. And no one pulls us out of the hand of Christ. But as we're inside of the grip of his love, we endure in faith with him, that we hold to him as he holds to us. And that we keep moving forward every day in faith. I trust you to hold me. I trust you to take care of me. I trust you to know me. I trust you to do what's best for me. I'm going to live by faith that you're taking care of me. And every day Jesus wraps his hand around you. And the Father wraps his hand around Jesus. And he holds you. And our job is to say, because I came into that relationship by faith, I'm going to stay with it and walk in it every day forward. That's my goal. So as we're following after Christ in that way, let's tackle a really difficult question that I'm sure impacts a lot of us in the room this morning. And here's the question. How should we think about people we love who seem at one point in time in their life to have accepted Jesus or had a relationship with Jesus, but now for whatever reason, they're not walking in that way. They're not pursuing Jesus in faith. They've not made any kind of lifelong commitment to pursue him and obey him and be obedient to him. How should we think about those things? Let me give you three things to consider here because probably all of us know somebody that we say, man, at some point in time in their life, they seem to have made a commitment to follow Jesus, but now when I look at them, they're not following Jesus. I can list a lot of people. Guys, going back to my youth group days, I think a lot of them came to our youth group because they were really pretty girls that were there. <laughs> And that was a real motivator to follow Jesus. But now, if you look at their life, you go, you know, there was nothing that stuck from that to now. They're not continuing to follow Jesus. How should I think about that? Were they in Christ and now they're not? Were they never in Christ? Let me think about a couple of things here, three things. Number one, salvation belongs to God alone. We're not the judge of whether someone is or isn't a Christian. So if you have someone in your life that you love and you're going, I don't know if they're in Christ or not, the first thing you need to understand is it's not your determining factor as to whether they are or are not in Christ. That's left to Jesus. Only God and the individual at, at, 
uh, in that conversation know genuinely and truly are they in Christ. We don't have to try to figure that out for them. However, we can look at life and see. The Bible says that by our fruit, we'll know one another. When we look at each other, we should be able to see, is there fruit of the Christian faith that's there? Are you growing and maturing in your salvation? Are you genuinely walking with Christ? So when we think about this, when we look at their life, is there information that helps us know, are they walking in faith? But it's not ultimately ours to judge whether or not they are a person of faith. Here's number two. What should we do for these people? Keep praying for them to develop true, persevering faith. This is the best thing that we can possibly do, right? This is what Andy was talking about with the who is your one card a little while ago. That the first thing we can do for a period of 30 days before we have a conversation with someone about faith is pray for them. We want to ask God to work and move in someone's life, but pray for someone. If we don't know if they're a genuine follower of Christ or not, if they're persevering in faith or not, pray that they develop that true persevering faith for themselves. And then here's number three, model faith and grace, model faith and grace, because no one is a lost cause until they take their last breath. As you pray for them, when you're around someone that you're curious about, do they know Christ? Are they walking in faith? Do they have this persevering faith or not? You and I must model persevering faith to them and grace to them. That when we have conversations with them, it should be seasoned with the grace of God. That we should show them what a life that's being changed by Jesus day after day after day looks like so that it's appealing to someone that they go, I want what you have. Because most often than not, more often than not, when somebody hits a time of struggle like we talked about earlier, they're just going to continue to fall deeper and deeper and deeper. Whereas for Christ followers, it's amazing to watch the difficult things Christ followers go through and how they stay consistent in Christ and how they weather storms because they believe and know that Jesus is holding them. And that our lives don't crumble and fall apart when disaster comes. But so many people that I've known who have not had their lives built on a foundation of Christ, when the storms of life come against them and when there's destructive things that happen against them, their whole world just crumbles and they don't know where to go. That's where it behooves us as followers of Jesus to live our lives in front of them in a way that shows and models the grace, the mercy, the love of God. To know that he has that love for them. And the reason we need to do this is we need to remember that we were once far from God ourselves. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, once you were alienated, literally that means transferred to another owner. You had been placed in the hands of another owner. You were once alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And so Paul says you were once alienated from Christ. You weren't in a relationship with him, but he has brought you into that. He's won you by his blood, by his death on the cross. Now you need to stay in that. We need to address the fact that several times in scripture, we see a statement like Paul uses here in Colossians 3.23. He says, if you continue in your faith, he said, you're presented holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm. And sometimes we'll see that and we'll go, all right, man, that means that we're in Christ as long as we do our part and stay in our faith. If you maintain your faith, you'll stay in. And it sounds a lot like it's our responsibility to stay in Christ. 
what Paul's writing here, you could easily insert the word instead of if, since. He's, he's writing this as if they are going to persevere in their faith. Since you are persevering in your faith, this is what's being accomplished for you. But if you select and choose to go after another gospel, there's no hope for those people. And so when the Colossian church, as he's writing to these, to these folks, they had embraced Paul's original message of the gospel. But then after Paul left, some people came in behind him and started saying, hey, that, the whole Jesus thing is great and fine, except Jesus, but here's what you also need to do. You need to observe these celebrations and these meals and these feasts and these festivals, and you need to do this and this and this. And without these things, you're not genuinely, truly following God. You've got to do things. And Paul goes, no, that's not the gospel. If you chase after that stuff, you're not in Christ because you're not enduring in the gospel that Jesus has called you to, a gospel of grace by faith. And so for us, when we see this, we go, because we're following in the gospel of grace, we can know that we're persevering in a life-giving relationship with Jesus. So Paul's asking this question essentially so that the leaders of the church can distinguish people. Because if you're thinking about the Colossian church and you go, man, when people came in, they start coming to this church and go, man, this is great. We love the fellowship here and we get fed here by somebody teaching to us and that's interesting. And, and maybe some people even uh, said a prayer. Maybe they got baptized. And then all of a sudden you're going, man, they're really in. But then after a while you look at their life and they start pursuing these other things outside of the gospel of grace. And they go, well, is, are they in or are they not in? Are they with us or are they not with us? And how do we know? How do we know? That's why Paul is addressing all of this. Paul's addressing it so we don't give people a false assurance. That we don't say to people, hey, if you just make this one-time commitment, say this prayer, sign this contract, like you guys need to read the fine print, right? Like if you've ever been in a place where you've had to sign a contract before, you go, you better know what the contract says. And Paul's helping these people go, you need to know what following Christ looks like. Know what is asked of you because this is not always going to be easy. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 22, you will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Right? So people who walk with Jesus in faith, not perfectly, but in faith throughout their life will be saved. So we're called to persevering faith because Jesus told us it would be difficult. We have to follow in him. When I was helping my kids know and understand what it looked like to follow Jesus, they got to a stage in life at about age six and eight and seven and nine that they started just asking questions. Dad, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? How do I do that? I want to invite Christ to be my savior. I want to have my sins forgiven. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a Christian. And so we start having conversations with our boys, young. Start going, guys, here's what I want you to do. This is not about become a Christian because that's what mommy and daddy want for you. This is not become a Christian because that's what our church does. That's what people expect in our churches, that people are going to follow Christ. Don't become a Christian because your, your teacher in your G2 class tells you that's the right thing to do. You need to follow after Christ because he means more to you than anything else in your life. Even if it costs you your life. Even if you're asked to give up your life to follow him and be obedient to him, you need to choose Jesus over everything. Some of you might be going, man, that's a heavy conversation to have with an eight-year-old. <laughs> yeah, it is. And do you want to know the truth? In a society that's becoming less and less Christian, in a society that, that goes against the things of God, if you have young kids, you need to be having those same conversations with them. 
You need to be telling your children, we don't just follow Christ because it's fun and culturally relevant and all your buddies are doing it and you get to get baptized at church and there'll be a celebration and all that kind of thing. You need to follow Christ because he's worth more to you than even the breath in your body. That if somebody came to you and said, you choose death or Jesus, then you choose Jesus because in your death comes life. That's where we get to enter into eternal life. We've persevered through everything in life to come to that place where we accept Christ because he means more to us than anything else. Too often, I think the Western church has made the mistake of inviting people to become followers of Jesus by instructing them, well, it's just a matter of say this prayer, find a church, you're all good. And maybe you've been in that place before where you've had somebody just say, look, all you have to do is just say a prayer and you're good. You'll go to heaven when you die. That's not an accurate picture of what the Bible paints. We do respond to God in prayer. The Bible says if you confess with the mouth of the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. But don't, don't stop with that verse. Keep going into the things that talk about persevering, life-giving, saving faith. It's a lifelong commitment to do that. Uh, this week, I read an insert uh, from J.D. Greer's book called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. Isn't that a great name for a book? Uh, the, the kind of topic he's dealing with is people who will go, well, yeah, I invited Jesus into my life and then I sinned. So I wasn't a Christian anymore. And so I invited Jesus into my life and then something crazy happened and I don't think I was with Jesus anymore. And so then I invited, he's going, just stop, stop. That's not Christianity. Stop doing that. Stop asking Jesus into your heart. And so in this book, he starts addressing some of these very things about persevering in faith. Here's what he said. Jesus warned that there are a vast number of people who seem assured of a salvation they don't actually possess. According to Matthew 7, Jesus will turn away many on that last day who thought they belonged to him. There's no doubt many of those will have prayed a sinner's prayer, right? So if you remember Matthew 7, this is where people come to Jesus and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And they go, Lord, Lord, didn't we do things in your name? Didn't we do good things and, and weren't there acts of, of obedience to you? And didn't we drive out demons even in your name? He goes, but you never knew me. You didn't have knowledge, intimate relationship with me. So depart from me because I never knew you. And so he says, there are a lot of people who are going to face Jesus on that last day and hear him say, away from me. He writes, one afternoon, I was at a local basketball court and started a pickup game with a guy I'd seen there a few times. He was quite a character. He cursed like a sailor and had so many tattoos on his body that I wasn't sure what the actual color of his skin was. He boasted continually about how many girls he was sleeping with. He wasn't the kind of guy you'd suspect knew his way around the Bible. As we played our game, I began to share my story of how I came to faith in Christ. About three sentences into it, he stopped, grabbed the ball, and said, Dude, are you trying to witness to me? Surprised he even knew the term witness, I said, Uh, well, yes. He said, That's awesome. No one has tried to witness to me in a long time. But don't worry about me. I went to youth camp when I was 13, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And I was legit. I became a super Christian. I went to youth group every week. I did the True Love Waits commitment thing. I memorized verses. I went on mission trips. I even led other friends to Jesus. But about two years after that, however, I discovered sex. And I don't like the idea of a God telling me who I could have sex with. So I decided to put God on hold for a while. And after a while, I just quit believing in him altogether. I'm a happy atheist now. He then added, but here's what's awesome. The church I grew up in was Southern Baptist, and they taught eternal security. That means once you're saved, you're always saved. So he went on. That means that my salvation at age 13 still holds, even if I don't believe in God anymore. Once saved, always saved, right? That means that even if you're right and God exists and Jesus is the only way, I'm safe. 
So either way, it works out great for me. If I'm right, then I haven't wasted my life curbing my lifestyle because of a fairy tale. So what do you say to a person like that, Greer writes? Consider the facts. He, was indeed, he had indeed prayed to ask Jesus into his heart, and all indications were that he was very sincere. And it's very possible for people to come to faith early in life. Jesus, in fact, told adults to become like children if they wanted to be saved. Furthermore, this guy showed immediate fruit. After his conversion, getting excited about Jesus and being busy for him. And the Bible does indeed teach eternal security. Once saved, always saved. So was he right? Can he, because he made a decision at some point in the past, live with the assurance that he was saved forever regardless of how he lives now? Here's the short answer. He cannot. Salvation does indeed happen in a moment. And once you are saved, you are always saved. The mark, however, of someone who is saved is that they maintain their confession of faith until the end of their lives. Salvation is not a prayer you pray in a one-time ceremony and then move on from. Salvation is a posture of repentance and faith that you begin in a moment and you maintain for the rest of your life. When I was doing youth ministry, we took a group of students to Ecuador for a mission trip one year. There were about 17 of us, kids and their parents that came with them and uh, had a great time in the jungle of Ecuador, the Amazon, uh, the, the rainforest down there. It was amazing. Uh, we made it. Our luggage did not. Uh, so we had three days with one change of clothes, and that was it. Whatever you had in your carry-on bag was what you had to live with for three days. Uh, and so it was just amazing, though. And as we get to this place, we're doing like a VBS camp kind of thing, and we're waiting for kids to show up, and we're like, where are all these kids going to come from? We're literally in the middle of a jungle, in the rainforest. And the answer was, they just start walking through the woods into the camp. There's no parent to check them in, sign them in, sign them out. It's just like, which way is camp? It's that way. We'll see y'all in a few days. Walk through the jungle to get there. Other kids show up in a dump truck. No lie. Dump truck shows up. Gate opens on the back. 50 kids get out. There's no seat belts. There's no safety constraints. It's just kids in a dump truck. They're showing up for VBS week, right? It's camp week. And we're kind of mind blown at all this kind of stuff and just going, these kids are coming out of nowhere. Like when I take my kids to VBS, we go in with them, we sign them in. If another adult is going to pick them up, we say who it's going to be, we sign them out, all those kinds of things. These parents were just like, camp is due north that way, five miles, we'll see you next week. And they just walk through the rainforest and show up at camp. And so we go through this whole week just sharing the gospel with these kids, building relationships with them, loving on them. It's incredible, great experience. And as we're in the middle of all of this, we're kind of building up to the crescendo moment. You know, the last night of camp where you're going to share the gospel. It's going to be really clear. You're going to make an invitation for kids to accept all that they've been hearing throughout the week. Would you like to be a follower of Christ? You can invite Jesus into your life. We go through the whole thing. We get to that last night. Our leaders, the Ecuadorian leaders and interpreters, they're going through the whole thing. They've taught the kids. And then at the end of the night, they just dismiss. And there's no like, hey, raise your hand if you want to invite Jesus into your life. There's no come forward to the altar. There's no prayer. There's no nothing. They just are like, okay, we'll see you guys later. And they're done. And so me, being the good Baptist that I was at the time, kind of had to go up to one of the leaders to go, all right, here's the deal. We spent a lot of money to come down here. And I know one of the questions I get when I get home is, how many kids invited Jesus into their life and became Christians while you guys were on that mission trip? But I noticed that you didn't give any kind of opportunity for kids to make that kind of decision today. What, what's going on? Tell me culturally how this works. What do you guys experience? What do I need to tell people when I get home? How do you know if someone has become a believer in Jesus throughout this week if you didn't give them a chance to pray, raise their hand, respond in any way? And the guy goes, here's what we're going to do. For the next six months to a year, 
We stay connected with all these kids in the villages that they're from, the churches that they go to, and we're going to watch their lives for the next six months to a year, and we're going to see which one of them, which ones of them start looking and behaving more like Jesus over a period of time. And that's how we're going to know who's genuinely had their lives changed. It's not about, in a moment, raise your hand, say a prayer. Can you invite Christ into your life that way? Absolutely you can. Do people who go to conferences or Billy Graham crusades or church services like this, when an invitation is offered to say, would you like to invite Christ into your life? You can make that commitment now. Can you do that? Absolutely. But who is genuinely, truly saved? Those of us who, in a commitment that we make to Christ, persevere in that throughout our lives that we stay committed to him, that we stay ingrained in him. And so when we think about this, we need to understand that part of what we need to do better, I think, is offer people an opportunity to know how to come to faith in Christ and what it means to be a follower of Christ, that it's a lifelong commitment. And so for us, I think what we need to see is what Peter would tell us to do, to add faith and perseverance into our lives. So he starts out by saying, you have faith. That's the building block of Christianity. Now, how do you add to your faith perseverance? And here's what I want to give you to close things up this morning. Four things for us to look at. Number one is this. How do I add to my faith perseverance? Number one, keep your focus constantly on Jesus. How do I know if I'm a follower of Christ? That I'm daily focused on him that I'm constantly watching him. Here's what Paul wrote in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. There goes back to that same thing. He's going, you're in Christ with God. You're hidden in him. You're with him. So when Christ, who is your life, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus has come to become everything to us. So we're to live in him. Not just saying, hey, I don't want to go to hell when I die, so I'll say that prayer that you said at church, Pastor, so I'm, I'm good now, right? I can go do whatever I want to, but I said that prayer one time. No, that's not Christianity. Christianity is life-giving, enduring faith. Here's um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart." In life, following Christ, things get difficult. It just does. So he says, you consider him. Consider what Jesus went through. Keep your eyes focused on him. Keep your heart focused on him. Keep your gaze set on him, and you will persevere through everything. Here's number two. How do we add perseverance to our faith? Number two, continue to believe what Jesus says and live in obedience to his commands. Continue to believe what Jesus says and live in obedience to his commands. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to, or some translations say, if you continue in my teaching, then you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How do you know you're genuinely a disciple of Jesus? 
You follow in his teachings. You obey his commands. You know what he says, and then you do it. And you do it over and over and over again. It's an enduring, persisting faith. Number three, take delight in Jesus. Don't follow him out of misguided duty. Here's the truth. Ultimately, we're worshipers. We're worshipers of God. In your life, whether you follow God or don't, you will worship. You will worship something. You'll worship money. You'll worship sex. You'll worship whatever it is. You pick entertainment. You will worship something. For us, as followers of Christ, we will worship Jesus. And so what we need to see is that we want to take delight in him then none of us would respond to Jesus and go, well, I have to. I've got to be a follower of Jesus. That's what's culturally expected of me. That's what's relevant. That's what my friends want me to do. That's what my parents expected of me. I followed Jesus because they told me to. I'm just supposed to follow Jesus. The motivation of our heart as worshipers is not to follow Jesus out of duty and obligation, but out of delight. Because I've not found anything better I pursued worshiping all these other things and they all left me empty in the end. There was never enough money. There was never enough anything. I always was empty in the end. And Jesus fills me in a way that nothing else ever has. So I don't worship him because I have to. I worship him because he loves me and I love him in return. Because he's saved me and he's changing me and I want to be like him. So I worship him and I follow him. Here's number four and last. Persevere in relationship with other believers. How do we add perseverance to our faith? Persevere in relationship with other believers. Uh, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some is in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. What's the day he's talking about? The day of Christ's return. Let us stay in fellowship with one another, encouraging one another. Keep it up. Keep moving forward in Christ. Walk with Jesus. Choose him. He's better. How do we help spur one another on toward love and good deeds? That's what we're called to as a faith family. This is why we do life together, why we want you to be involved in life groups, why we want you to be a part of something smaller than this gathering to where you can be in intimate relationships with people who can say, how's it going? Where are you struggling? How can I encourage you? How do we push one another forward to follow after Jesus every day so that we persevere in our faith and hold on to what God has called us to so that we have a living faith that's changing us every day. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.